Welcome to the Digital Dudes Podcast. I'm David. I'm Reed. And today is a very special podcast. We're here for the first time with our uh, Director of Engineering, Victor Dozel. So, Victor, I'll let you introduce yourself. Alrighty. Hello there, beautiful, amazing, and gorgeous people. Um, so, I am Victor, the Director of Engineering here at Digital, and my role is to make sure that the whole team is happy, efficient, and that we set the priorities that we need to set for whatever time frame we, we talk about. And as far as my background, uh, I've been through so many different industries, so many different companies as either a contractor or a a full-time employee. I've been in the industry of gaming, of sports, of security, e-commerce, you name it. And one of the biggest companies that I've worked for that you might have heard of, maybe, is Amazon. (laughs) That's a little bit about me. Yeah, yeah. And you joined us, was a year and a half ago, maybe? I joined on maybe June of 2018. Yeah, right. Originally, he as, became as, official in October. Yeah, right. So it started as a contract, and then we just had to have have the guy. So we brought him on full time. And he dreams in JavaScript. <laughs> he does. Yeah. So the um, teaser started as a team of one, but now you have how many folks do you have? We have four people. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, on the engineering side, and then we have a data team too. Well, um, in this podcast, we uh, Reed pulled this together last minute. He's like, before we get out of the office, let's do this on. I don't know if you want to call it past, present, future on engineering. Yeah, I think that's fair. Cool. So um, listen to this podcast if you're super interested. Well, let me give you about time range. The first twenty minutes of this mm-hmm. podcast is super weedsy on JavaScript. If you have zero interest in getting into those, then skip 20 minutes in. The next 20 minutes of the podcast is focused on uh, different engineering roles. So front end, back end, whatever. So that makes up about 40 minutes of the podcast. And then the last 20 minutes or so of the podcast is when Reed really pushes Victor on bold predictions. So for those that aren't into engineering or don't have a lot of background there, if you aren't feeling it at the beginning, skip straight to 40 minutes in. That's when you'll hear Victor talk about uh, his bold predictions. So what's going to happen with AI, AR, self-driving cars, blockchain. And of course, we get into what happens with text messaging. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I highly thing. encourage you to have an adult beverage in your hand when you listen to adult, uh, Victor's predictions, either that or some sort of sedative. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little energetic, though. You might have to slow down the audio. <laughs> true. True. Cool. Cool. Well, Thanks, Victor. Thank you. Okay, so today we're talking, well, I'll say engineering, but Reed, this was your last minute decision at 618 on a Monday, first day back from break that you wanted to hit a podcast with Victor, um, our director of engineering since he's in town. So what are we talking about? Yeah, well, that's how we roll, right? Victor knows that as well as anybody. So super happy that he's in town. He comes in usually, and we will be expecting this once a month from Austin, uh, my old stopping grounds. And, you know, when we first met Victor is one of the things that appealed to us the most. Um, You know, we uh, just quick backstory, but um, we we're in transition, I'll say, in the early stages of our, our tech platform, Fiona. And we were looking for a new leader, somebody that would fit really well with me and David, um, that had great communication skills, could frankly simplify some things for us since we're not technolo- technological founders, which we qualify all the time. Um, 
that was really well versed uh, in both, I think, you know, for me, I always look for experts that know the past, the present and the future in, in different subject areas. That's when you really know that you have somebody that's passionate um, and is a thought leader. And that came through really clearly um, and quickly uh, with Victor. And so Dave and I have benefited from that. And I'd say almost in a vacuum, we want the rest of the company to get more exposure to this. But certainly, you know, for those that are listening, um, you know, you should know that Digital is headed that direction in a big way, moving more towards tech and data as kind of the fabric and the cables of our company. And so I don't think it's a miss. We just haven't had a chance. Part of it's because he's, you know, not that we can't call him in, but he's in Austin. So after, uh, you know, our usual like fun uh, conversations when he walks in the door, uh, yeah, I was like, hey, we got to we got to pull him in here and do a quick podcast. And so shouldn't be a surprise on where I am going to take it, which is past, present, future. Uh, You know, curious, Victor, um, and by all means, any more background that you want to, you want to put in before you start, but just hearing a little about, uh, tech trends, you know, from the languages that are being used, uh, the way, uh, teams are being set up, you know, what, what have you seen and, and granted Victor's like 12 years old, so he won't have probably as much on the past. Uh, but then again, he might, cause he's a real student, but yeah, talk to us about the last few years of engineering, where things kind of sit today. And then, you know, what your outlook is on the future. Ooh, that's a very overloaded question, Reed. Um, well, let's start with uh, just the most recent trends that I've seen in the in the tech world. I believe the the throughout the past ten years or so, people have been talking about how um, there's always going to be well, there's two there, there's two ways to go about this as far as programming languages go. For example, let's let's just talk about programming languages for now. There's people that say that there's always going to be a trillion different programming languages because they all they're all very good at different things. And there's some people that say that there's going to be one programming language to rule them all. I happen to have to, to fall in the category of one programming language to rule them all, just because it's silly to me to believe that you can't just turn turn on some some switch on the on the back end, let's say, and uh, make JavaScript really good at numbers, or make JavaScript really good at mobile, or make JavaScript really good at web. And there has already been a lot of proof that there ha- there are a ton of long- languages languages out there that are um, able to do really like really a lot of things really well. Um, so as far as uh, just just giving you you guys a little bit of context as far as which camp I fall in. Okay, well, I'm going to stop you right there and I'll be interrupting you plenty. Um, <laughs> but uh, how, was that a self-realization, um, what you just described, or is that something that is becoming consensus as far as, you know, there's a lot of languages out there, but I more so subscribe to, you know, one language for all, uh, more from what it sounded like, almost a functionality and kind of over, like, multiplier mindset. So I'm curious if that's something that you just kind of arrived at as you've spent time over the last few years, or if that's something that you're just seeing as a growing opinion in the engineering like community. I, I think it's a combination of both. Back when I was, well, uh, I told you guys this before, but back when I was 12 years old, I started, 10 years old actually, and I started programming. I started programming because I was interested in creating websites because it was really cool to do that back then. And it was something that you could show to everyone, family, friends, anyone that you wanted to. Um, back then, and even now, there's, like I said, a lot of people that believe that every language is built with a, with a very specific purpose in mind. And even today, when I tell people, hey, there's going to be one language to rule them all, and it's going to be JavaScript, most people, I'm going to say, today, it's 7 out of 10. They call me silly, they call me stupid, they call me crazy. Um, but back 10 years ago, that was more like 10 out of 10 people would call me crazy, stupid, and silly. But just the trends of the language and how how uh, much 
usage there, there has been of JavaScript over the past few years have been just it has confirmed my thought and my idea that JavaScript is going to be it's going, it's going to be the language to rule all languages. Quick uh, side story here. I don't know. I'm sure you guys know about this story or maybe not. But um, Steve Jobs, I was going to I was, I was going to say Steve Gates, but Steve Jobs <laughs> uh, initially he wanted to create a an app store that was based off of web apps. But he couldn't do it because the language JavaScript was just not robust enough back then. But he believed also that the where the trends would go as far as well, apps overall would be in the web, but he just decided to create a very specific language for his platform because JavaScript was, was not where it, where, where, where it needed to be back at the moment. Um, I just learned about this story like three years ago, so it just made me feel I, personally a lot better. I totally know that story, and uh, it's funny because even before I heard that story, I was thinking the same thing. I said, why the heck do I have to go download an app? Like mobile web is getting better and better. Isn't the app store going to disappear? And it made... You know, I'm just waiting for the day that it goes. I don't download apps very often. I did. I bet the only thing that gets me are airlines. Airlines, uh, you have to download their damn app so you can get like watch their entertainment or whatever while you're on the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I want to piggyback on Reed's question because this goes back to my ignorance. Like I took one coding class in high school, and then I haven't coded since. If I ever built, whenever I build websites, it's using a tool or something. Um, so there's all these different programming languages now. Um, JavaScript happens to be the one that you, that you favor for some of the reasons you just talked to. I'm sure you'll talk about more. Um, but don't you, it would reason to me that you had, I don't know, C++ back in the day. And then like all of a sudden a new language came out that solved the problem of C++. And then a new language came out that solved the problem of whatever that was. And then whenever JavaScript is like, what, 10 years old or something now? It's probably like. 20 years old. I think it came out in 1990 something. 19 I'm going to say okay. 1994, right? Yeah, it's funny cuz every time I think of the early 2000s, I I always knock a decade off because I'm still stuck in the early 2000s <laughs> in many ways when I think of history. Anyways, um but it so is it your impression that JavaScript is so I'll put I'll just say perfect or becoming it can become perfect that there's no that there's no weaknesses there or could you imagine another language coming along? that is, you know, solves those problems. Like I think about English, you know, isn't the oldest language on the planet, right? It came along later and uh, then, you know, it's stuck. I mean, not saying English is a perfect language, but Mm -hmm. you get, you get my connection. Yeah. Um, So just to recap, your question was, is, do I believe that there's going to be a different language that's going to come and kick JavaScript's butt? Well, that, that might solve a problem, hence that JavaScript has, hence why another language may exist so i know we talk constantly about uh javascript being used in the machine learning and ai world and even though you can do some applications there our data team so far has has leaned on python because they feel it's more robust in that area Mm -hmm. i know there's fast development there for javascript so all i'm saying is is it your thought that the the framework for the language is so I guess pure that it that it can be built into whatever the need will be, or could you imagine a world where another language comes along that solves a a fundamental problem with JavaScript? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, by the way, you can cut any piece out that you want, right? So I can no editing in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't edit here, so <laughs> never um, say sticks. <laughs> so I think no. So to answer the first question that that jumps up to jumps up to me from what you said is, is JavaScript a pure language that comes with no flaws? Absolutely not. There's 
JavaScript is one of the, one of the most hated languages today, even because <laughs> uh, back in the day, I, I believe the story of JavaScript back in the day is that it was built in, let's say, uh, it was like like a Catholic story. It was built in seven days, something like that. Whereas most other programming languages were were this very deliberate process of making sure that there were no bugs, no issues, etc. JavaScript was just like this nasty MVP that was put together so that the web could work. Um, why didn't they they use one of the existing programming languages for the web back in the day? I'm not sure. But uh, they created JavaScript super quick. It became the language of the web. And because it was created so fast, it came with a trillion issues. What makes JavaScript so different from every other language uh, that I know of is that, number one, when in other programming languages they come up with an update, they usually make the update so that well, it's not intended, but it's just the easiest way for them to move forward. Let's say that we have Python version 2 today, and this is a real story. They have Python version 2, and uh, I don't know, maybe like four years ago, five years ago, uh, Python 3 came out. I could be wrong about the dates, by the way, but uh, Python 3 came out, and all of a sudden, you couldn't run Python 2 programs under Python 3. It was just backwards incompatible. Same with Python, let's say, version 1 and Python Python 2. Same with C++ 9 and C++ 10. You couldn't, they were just not compatible. And it's just not a concern for those other programming languages. Whereas with JavaScript, every time they come up with a release, everything in the web has to work under the new newer versions of JavaScript. And that's why, um, that's the number one reason why I think it's so popular today, because they know that no matter what happens, a lot of that maintenance is gone because they're going to continue to push out updates and nothing's going to break. So that's one key differ differentiator of, of JavaScript. The second thing is that the web is everywhere today and it's not going away. And the if you look at the code statistics, for example, the most lines of code today have been written in JavaScript because the web never disappears. Whereas other software, they build it, they maintain it for mm. five years or so. Some other companies maintain their software for longer, but let's say five years is the average. And then they just like rebuild the whole thing in another programming language just because a new version of the of the programming language came out. And that's not the case with JavaScript. Every, like I said, right. it Facebook goes back to and Slack did, did that, refactored the whole thing. Correct. And right. they did it in what? No, I don't recall. I'm going to say JavaScript. Oh, okay. Yeah, nailed it. Well, right? what, and at first, <laughs> Facebook was what, Ruby? And then it went to it was PHP. PHP. They I thought they did Ruby at some point. They did. So uh, this is a trend that Google followed, Facebook followed, and I'm assuming a lot of other companies followed. PHP was the popular thing like yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. And then Ruby with Ruby on Rails was the popular thing. And then Python Django was like trying to fight for that top spot for a little bit. It, I, I don't think it never came to the top spot. And then now JavaScript is just like, like I said, taking over the world from, from my perspective. Well, we're about to get into, for me at least, front end, back end, because, you know, that uh, on some level, I think has to be a qualifier, at least as used to, used, you have described it to me in the past. It's like they're like, Ruby, Ruby on Rails and, and Python still have wide adoption and, and understandably so in certain, excuse me, no, in, in certain, <laughs> in certain capacities um, of engineering, um, whereas JavaScript, and that's, I don't know where maybe you're being more bold, is that you feel like it will support not just in wide adoption, but all aspects of engineering, like front end and back end, if I have that right. Because I feel like you were like, well, right now, there's a lot more attention on Python in these specific use cases, which is on the back end when it just comes to like computations or things like that. Again, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I just yeah. think that's an important well, part of this. I would say totally. Um, 
I love that, and I'll I love his explanation about like the web doesn't disappear, and if if most things are written in Java on the web, which made it click for me. I remembered that Netscape was the one that that uh, built and popularized JavaScript. So I've been wanting to do. I haven't done this research, but Mark Andreessen who ran Netscape, I, we talked about this like two months hard ago. Hard things, like, hard things. Yeah. Yeah. Does Mark Andreessen still believe in JavaScript for his ventures? But what I was going to get to is like. Um, I don't know what they use to program video games, but I bet it's not JavaScript. Right. So is it more that your belief is JavaScript is going to take over anything that's on the web or web application and then pairing up to Reed's question about the backend? Totally. How pervasive is it is what we're getting at? Because when you say there's one language that will rule the world of engineering, like is there a qualifier there? Are you saying it's going to take over video gaming and every other use case out there, which seems less plausible just because of how quick tech is moving and how many other languages already exist. Um, so before you answer that, or I guess expand <laughs> on that, Victor, um, I'm uh, just trying to nail this down a little bit in the vein of the past, present, future, but I appreciate the fact you said 10 out of 10 would have told me I was crazy just a few years ago. As far as that statement, now it's 7 out of 10, so that takes me to present. In the future, and I'll say in three years, Victor, what do you think that number is? Five out of 10 will say you're crazy. Three out of 10, how quick is this moving towards, you know, JavaScript world domination? Yeah, that's also another interesting question. And that's one that's extremely hard to answer, but I'll try. So, and the reason why it's hard to answer is not because that I know that the growth will be exponential. And because the growth will be exponential, if things, if the platforms that we needed to code on in the future didn't change. Let's say that, for example, AI didn't exist and we just had software for the web and software for mobile apps and software for desktop apps, just three applications. If everything stayed the same, I would say that maybe in three years, only three out of, out of 10 people would say I'm crazy. But because there's always new things coming out such as AI, um, internet of things and, well, just overall automation of basically everything in the world, virtual reality, um, like blockchain or whatever yeah, blockchain, buzzword you want to throw out yeah, there? Yeah, whatever other terms you want to throw out there. Like you said, uh, JavaScript is, today is not built to solve every problem. So whenever something is getting started, they grab a programming language or they build one that is very good at that. But over time, JavaScript, like I said, is swallowing up everything out there. JavaScript was built to do only front-end stuff. So just like the, it was built to handle just like clicks on a website or like really silly movements on a website, things of that nature. Now is it's able to handle not only the front end, but also just back end applications, really complex back end applications. Database stuff was only uh, built to be done with something called SQL type languages. Now there's a, a JavaScript based language that is able to handle database stuff called Mongo. Same with mobile stuff. It was originally Java for Android and what was it? Uh, Objective-C for iOS. And now there's like a trillion different, well, not a trillion, but there's a ton of different languages that are supposed to allow people to write code one certain way. And just like it generates the code for both platforms, Android and iOS. And JavaScript is one of the ones leading that charge right now, along with a few others. But uh, JavaScript right now is in mobile, it's in web, it's in desktop applications, it's in backend applications, it's in database. I don't know any other language out there that can do all those things at the same time. Did that answer your question or? Yeah. Well, great. so you're saying over time database, you think it'll, your bold prediction is that it'll take it over. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're obviously, and in fair, throwing some dependencies out there, but it's still not putting yourself out there, which is what this podcast is all about. <laughs> yeah. So, so in three years, Victor, how many people will be saying you're crazy? I think in three years, 
maybe five out of ten people will be saying I'm crazy. And what I've mostly found is that the veterans of the industry are the ones that usually say that I'm crazy just because, well, veterans have a tendency to just like at a certain point they're really happy with their programming language. They're really happy with their companies. They stick there for the next 20 years. They don't have to learn any any really new trends because it's really hard to upgrade software. So they just continue doing the same stuff for the next 10, 15 years, maintenance stuff mostly, and they uh, retire happily. Um, so my expectation is that the veterans of the industry will still say that I'm that I'm crazy, whereas the new people, let's say, coming out of college, coming out of boot camps, or even people that are uh, the veterans but are still keeping on, keeping up to date with the latest technologies, they'll be the ones that say, this kind of makes sense. So you uh, often refer to they, them, people, um, old school. <laughs> you people. Yeah, and uh, I give you a hard time about that sometimes, but I, I like to hear from time to time who's saying that, what what blog, you know, what website, what publication, you know, where is this coming from in the community? And it's not because I doubt you. It's just because I'm legitimately curious. And you yourself, you know, are a thought leader and, you know, got whatever, a few thousand people on YouTube following you. Um, but who else, uh, just for the sake, I guess, of our audience, um, are real thought leaders from your perspective? Like, you know, as you are mostly self-taught, and you can talk a little bit more about that because you're not, let's say, the, the I guess, classically trained or tracked engineer. And I think that's a, a lot of what makes you so great. Um, but, yeah, who, who are you paying attention to? Where are you getting your information other than just, and I know you'll say Google, I just <laughs> search stuff. But can, can you give us a little bit more than that? Yeah, of course. So, well, I can try at least. So <laughs> you nailed it. One, one of my better data, data sources is Google. So I just Google every now and then top languages uh, in the world, top languages in 2019, top languages in 2020, trends for programming languages. And over time, uh, what I've seen in every single website that keeps track of these sort of metrics, JavaScript just keeps coming up and up. Uh, it just keeps like increasing in, in score on a, a ton of different metrics. Some websites have it on, on spot three, some websites have it on uh, spot two. Now, mostly what you'll find is what I said, that JavaScript is spot on spot number one. And even the ones that in, on 2018 had JavaScript on spot three or four have it on spot two or one today. So it just keeps increasing like that. As far as people who I, uh, well, one of the, I'm terrible with names, but I, I happen to have one open on my computer right now. And there's this really great video on YouTube called Keep Betting on JavaScript. And it was uh, made by this person called Kyle Simpson. And he's one of the, better people to learn about and follow in both the, the software engineering industry and the JavaScript industry. And this, this video just talks about the, the history of JavaScript and why you should always keep betting on JavaScript and why it has so, won so many battles. Other than that, there's just like random people on, let's say, YouTube or blogs that as they get to touch JavaScript and get to learn about the new features, they, they, they start preaching about JavaScript and why it's so great. Well, we're not ones that can that. We shouldn't like turn this into like a, I don't know, like a debate of why. Uh, <laughs> but I would say that um, one thing to be cautious of with anything like that is if it's the language of the web, then I could imagine that it's the people that are using it are web people. Mm -hmm. And who's the people that are like writing all this stuff or doing all this stuff on the web? It's web people. So um, I don't know. The other folks that use other languages may not be fairly represented in some of that stuff just because they're not as active on the web. Couldn't agree more. Um, it's like 
this in so many ways of the world, but if you're a Democrat and, and maybe you're just showing some interest in political science and you're trying to better understand that world and then you start to connect or, you know, um, one side or the other resonates with you, then you start researching inevitably and looking for more opinions that validate and kind of grow that opinion. And next thing you know, what you're referring to as some of those old school like dinosaurs that can't get away from like Python because that's all they know and that's what they've been working in. You become the same with JavaScript because mm-hmm. that's that's where you're really like focused. It's like this is taking over the world. So that's who I'm going to listen to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm just saying be leery of that. Be aware of that. How that could sound like for somebody that's listening to this. Um you know, questioning that, that exact thing that I think David, but I did want to ask him, I think this is where you're going. Cause you said three years from now, how many, how many thinks he's crazy. So similar to, uh, self-driving cars when people are putting their foot out there saying five years, 10 years, 20 years or never, uh, where do you sit? Like, what would be your qualifier that like JavaScript has, I'll say one, the crusade. And then when, when do you think that that crossover point would happen? That's a fantastic question. Um, so when do I think that JavaScript is really going to we're, we're gonna What's your qualifier How first? How are you going to define that, that it really has officially taken over? Yeah, and then when? Uh, I, <laughs> that's a really great question because I don't think that truly, it depends on how pure we want to take this question because if, if we're going to say JavaScript is going to be the only language in the world ever that, that is going to, that, that everybody, everybody's going to use, I don't think that's ever going to happen just because... Well, to help you out, to help you out, sorry, Victor, but a good comparison would be Google and like Yahoo. Mm-hmm. Like, is it going to get to that point? Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a better way of putting mm-hmm. it. There, Yes, there's other search engines, but really there's only one. Yeah. You know, so is that, do you see that kind of monopoly taking place within the next 10 years? Yes. If, and the only, I guess now to answer your question correctly, I suppose, um, the only choir, the, the, the breaking point there, the qualifier will be if JavaScript or somebody in the JavaScript community can somehow create a framework that makes AI as robust as it is currently in Python, it's game over. Because the only real contender right now for spot number two is Python. And the only reason it's in spot number two, from my perspective, is because of AI. And JavaScript is not really good at AI yet, yet. Um, but it's there's people that are trying to make it really good. So when, if, and when, somebody figures out AI for JavaScript, like, like I said, it's game over. Cause there's, I think the third spot has like 20%, 20, 20% or 25% of the adoption of either Python or JavaScript. And when you sense. say good, is it that it's like, it's hard to do math, AI math or whatever with JavaScript, or is it more like there aren't the same libraries? So mm-hmm. it's just the templates I'll say aren't as robust mm-hmm. <laughs> or what, I mean, I'm super out of my realm here, but <laughs> what, uh, what makes you feel like, what does it need to improve upon to become good at yeah. AI? Yeah. So there's two, two main flaws with JavaScript today for, uh, for it to become really good at AI. One is that there's some, some programming languages have an issue when adding decimal values just because of binary number issues. When you add, for example, 0.1, plus 0.2 in JavaScript, what do you guys think the result would be? 0.3. 0.3, right. So in JavaScript, it gives you something like 0.3111111 for some odd reason that I cannot explain right now. But anyway, so that's one of the issues that JavaScript has. When you do decimal math, it gets a little bit off, and Python doesn't have that issue. And that's mm. because, well, and that is why Python has been more widely adopted mm-hmm. for number uh, number stuff. The number two reason why Python has been so widely adopted, just as a, as a little side note here, is because it's also a really easy language to learn, uh, just as JavaScript. But 
to answer the second part of your question is, do I think it could be, it's because uh, there's libraries or frameworks in Python that make AI better in Python? Absolutely. Um, some very smart people figured out that Python was really good at numbers. So these really smart people started creating libraries and frameworks for AI in Python. And that's why Python is winning right now because of the decimal number issue and because these smart people just got a head start in Python. But if those smart people instead, for example, fixed the decimal number issue in JavaScript mm -hmm. and then started working in, in AI, it, it would be... So as your bet, Reed said, put words in your mouth of 10 years, but is 10 years the right horizon? And again, what are you going to measure, measure the success by? Would it be like... I don't know. It's almost like they're the teaching success uh, or adoption. They're, te they're going to teach Mandarin in fourth grade. Like English. Is that what it's going to be? Is like when they start teaching well, JavaScript and what a segue, man, or you just team me up. I have to <laughs> jump on that one yeah. <laughs> because I think I told Victor, um, last time you were in town or a couple trips ago that my, uh, nephew is learning Python, mm -hmm. not JavaScript, um, right now in school. And he's a sixth grader. Mm -hmm. And when I talked to my cousins that we saw when we were in Houston, um, Sam, the one that's now the biotech engineer that's out in California mm -hmm. also had learned Python. And this was when he was in, in Austin at UT. Um, and so I think it's a great barometer. I mean, it would make sense to me. It's like fourth graders, sixth graders, whatever in high school, that would be a tipping point, right? Where it's like, you're you're learning javascript not python but mm. today and it's probably because of what you said the ease but also that it's more around mathematics it there it was less about i think software engineering if i could put it that way that 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 that's probably happening but i hadn't heard anyone in my network i guess that it, you know the young ones that are in school saying yeah i'm learning javascript mm -hmm. so that would be a, a great indicator where it's like 10 years from now they wouldn't be saying python or yeah they wouldn't be saying python they'd be saying, saying javascript yeah, so just to recap, what was so the question? Back to the horizon. I think David was trying to nail you down. Like, is it 10 years? Is it seven years? Like, when? And what's the qualifier? How do we know that? Right, which is where back? you went with the fourth grader. Like, yeah. at what point is a fourth grader learning JavaScript instead of Python? Yeah. Um, well, to to answer that question, I'll, I'll first tell a quick story. There are some programming languages that are built for learning. And I believe Python is just overall a better language to teach kids with rather than JavaScript, because like I said, JavaScript has so many weird things, so many um, things that are hard to learn. And JavaScript, and there's, there's something called programming language paradigms. And these paradigms are just ways to, to write code. Yeah, and JavaScript, JavaScript follows a, a convention that is a little bit off right now. And Python follows a more classical approach. You, you can nowadays do the classical approach with JavaScript, but Python is still more on the classical side, and I believe that's why today uh, kids are learning about Python. Whereas if you look at, for example, the grown-up world, if you look at the boot camps, you'll mostly find that, I'm going to say, 8 out of 10 boot camps are going to teach JavaScript rather than Python. And the reason for it is, number one, there's, of course, a lot, a lot more jobs on JavaScript. Number two, uh, it's an easy language to learn. And number three, I don't have a number three. <laughs> Well, slightly contradictory for me, though, that, you know, like English, for example, you go all over the world. That's something that whether it's hard or it's not like it's understood that this is the language that most countries like will use for their second outside, of course, ourselves. And so it seems like the fourth grader like that they should be teaching or that they would be teaching JavaScript because it's like whether it's hard or not, regardless of anything like this is the language you need. to. Well, know. I heard it more like Python is um 
super, I'll say I, I took Latin. So it reminds me of the way you described of Latin. It's like a super classical like framework versus JavaScript is just gangster. That's why they don't teach you. <laughs> All right. Well, we probably covered, and I know you well, can I have do one, this for I have two a, more hours. I do have a, a separate question for instead of a JavaScript episode. Good. That's I'm ready to move <laughs> oh, okay, past great. JavaScript. That's where I was going. Shoot. The okay. Well, I was going to hit like um, the roles of an engineer. So like, I don't know if it used to be that back in the day it was, there's one kind of engineer, but certainly we've heard of specialists, right? Where there's the, and when we get Lurch on the podcast to talk about data, there's like, um, I'll use, uh, in engineering, I've heard front end engineer, back end engineer, full stack. So how do you think though, tell us the past, present, future of those roles. Like, are they going to become more specialist or less specialist, um, over time, but give us the past, present, future, you know, quickly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Beautiful day. <laughs> uh, that's another fantastic question. I wish, uh, Bobby was sitting next, next to me here. Cause he's obviously had a lot more experience in the industry. But um, so I cannot really talk much about the past. I can only assume what happened back then. And back then, uh, I'm going to say that even though they didn't call themselves backend engineers, everyone was basically a backend engineer. And uh, well, I'm going to say 80, 90% of people, the only front end engineers are the ones that probably just grabbed some, for example, C++ code, and they built a really ugly application that that people would be able to click on. But back in the day, people didn't really care much about the, the front end anyway. Right, so to be clear, front end is what the user uses. It's the look, the Correct. front of the application. Back end is database and all the junk that happens. Correct, yeah. So I guess let, let me define those super quickly. So let's start with today. Today, they, there's many different types of roles in, a, in an organization. One is the front end uh, role, which like you said, is the one that makes uh, things that you click on or things that you look at really performant, they, they move fast, you click on a link and the, the next page loads fast, etc. Then there's the backend engineers and these backend engineers usually uh, do... Can I, I'm sorry, but not to confuse that with, with Kyle's role here on UI UX, this is actually optimizing the functionality of, of like a web application that you're talking about for front end or... Yeah, I always thought you, it was to, group, as you always say, make things pretty. Yeah, then I would expect that to be Kyle. So are you delineating between a UI UX versus, you know, a front end engineer? Or are you grouping those together? I'm grouping those together. Okay. So a, there's, there's different, many different specializations today within the front end world. There's people that are really good at CSS because CSS is a way to make websites look pretty and it's gotten really complex. Um, JavaScript is the way to make web pages dynamic and it has also gotten really complex. And then there's also the optimization side of things, which is uh, we want to make, for example, speed. right. But um, there's there's performance in terms of you are inside of a web application and you click on the on a button. Calculations happen, and those calculations take a while. If those calculations happened on your computer, that's the front end engineers to make that fast. Hmm. But if those calculations happened somewhere on the cloud, that is the back end engineers role to fix. Yep. So. Then there's also the, the, let's call it the SEO specialists, which their, their job is to look at tools like SEM Rush and make sure that um, the page load speed that is available to the public is, is really fast. And that requires its own specialization. There's nobody out there that I know of that is really good at making things really pretty with CSS, making uh, SEO really good, and also making web applications for the customers that are really performant or, pre or, or pretty. 
um, you need like your own really specific people for, for all of those things. So then that would suggest, and it would make sense to me as technology does evolve and in some cases gets simpler, but in many cases is getting more complicated that there's, there's more verticals now, like that go into the engineering community than there were, even though you're, you're acknowledging that you don't have 20 years underneath you, but what it looked like in the past for maybe somebody like Bobby, who's come up through the ranks versus somebody like yourself, like next generation, it's like there's really four or five tracks now instead of just one or two. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. That's, yeah, you nailed it. And so you think that's going to continue the splinter? I think so. I, I mean, it could, go, it, it could go either way because there are, for example, with JavaScript, JavaScript ha has become so popular that there's like a trillion different libraries, frameworks, etc. And there's, there's a term out there uh, that is becoming really popular and it's called JavaScript fatigue. And this JavaScript fatigue comes when you start building an application in JavaScript and you have many, so many choices that you don't even know where to go next. Yeah. You, need to, you need to be really good at what you're doing to, to know what to pick. And a lot of the people that are just getting started, for example, just get this fatigue and they, well, they burn out. Makes total sense. It's the whole like, um, what is it? it's not the choice paradox, but it's the whole the example is like if you go to a deli and there's 150 sandwiches to choose from. You might walk out of the deli, but if they have three sandwiches, like in and out burger or something, right. you're going to order one. Right, exactly. So um, what I think is going to happen is over time, we're going to continue to create so many libraries and frameworks in the JavaScript world that the fight, the, the, let's call it the fight, is not going to be between Python and JavaScript anymore. It's going to be between X JavaScript library or framework versus Y library uh, or framework within the, the JavaScript world, which is already happening between, let's say, uh, in the front end, between Angular and React, or yeah. Angular and Vue. Um, so yeah, right, time. so cycli cyclical, like it started as one, then it splintered, and now there's going to be some winners and sort of consolidate again. Correct. Yeah, it's always going to simplify over time, but in the meantime, it's going to be really complex. So then back to your engineers, you, you're saying that you're not sure it could go either way for you, that either we get a lot more specialists because we're splintered, or... I guess you're saying there may be just a couple of roles. I think that the specializations are going to continue to grow um, up until a certain point. And w which point that is, I'm not sure. But for example, something that we're doing that we're doing here at Digital and with Fiona is we chose JavaScript because of the reasons that we talked a little bit about before, which is Ricardo is now able to jump between the front end, the back end, the database, the cloud, and so many different things because it's so easy to context switch. Right. Emmanuel is the same thing. And Kyle, which is our uh, UI UX engineer, he's a, a very pure, and uh, he's an engineer that was trained only in JavaScript for the front end, but in about a week or so, probably less than that, he got, I'm gonna say to a decent level in the back end that he could become productive. And this was all thanks to JavaScript. Right. So um, I think we're, we're still going to need this, these specializations for really specific tasks. But overall, I, I have a feeling that most engineers will just become jack-of-all-trades with JavaScript. So you'll have a specialty, but you have the capability to at least jump in. Correct. It's it's. I think... Which uh, is exactly what Ricardo just described himself as, like, which I thought was beautiful this morning our, was, our new ricardo no 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 first but, ricardo yeah okay. he was like i'm a jack of all traits and his passion might be in devops but mm -hmm. he's right. exactly what i think victor's describing right that's correct is he has the capacity to move in and out of all these different 
segments of, of the engineering responsibility, but certainly has some that he has a higher comfort level with, yep. which leads me to a question about uh, being bilingual, since we always talk about it in form of language, but the value of, of a professional um, that can speak Spanish and English, just generally speaking, goes up, right? It's like, this is great. You're going to be able to talk to more people. And there is, you know, an enormous population out there. And, and you're a great example of that. Uh, love that about you. So uh, would you not, though, agree with that when it comes to engineering that your value is greater if you know React, Angular, and JavaScript. Like if you were doing it all over again, and again, you're 12 years old, but um, for aspiring engineers out there, like would you recommend, hey, you should be learning multiple languages or just narrow your focus? It's all going to be about JavaScript. Before I answer that question, uh, super quickly, back to the specialization thing. The, the analogy that I would use for that uh, as far as generalists versus specialists is that Let's say that you're a runner, and well, that's a stretch here. <laughs> what, what we can say here is that mostly everybody out there, let's say that 99% of people out there, can run a 5K. Some people will run it in 30 minutes. Some people will, will run it in an hour. Doesn't matter. Everyone can run a 5K. But if you really need somebody to break a world record, you need a specialist. So that's what that's what I would say that what is going to happen in the software engineering world mm. or the programming world, where everybody's going to be able to do a little bit of everything. But then, if you really want to take something really far, you're going to need somebody that has focused for the last X number of years on something. That's a great analogy. It is a great analogy. It makes total sense. Which I'll take this. Uh, so I don't know. Forget what I said before. However, you were going to respond to it. <laughs> um, you're building out your department now, um, and. You're, you've already learned quite a bit, and if you want to, like, I guess, give a shout-out or any mention to your experience with Pluto and some of the advice you've gotten there about the way to think about this. And, you know, the advice you get from us, again, is without technological uh, background, but uh, where you found some value, at least, I hope, is just generally speaking, like, how to be thinking about building out a department and operating. So as we're on this thread about specialists versus generalists um, and where you expect or anticipate things to go, which is going to be more generalist um what's your approach as you look at the next couple of years at digital and with fiona um in the way that you're planning to staff recruit look for talent um because when i asked you this a year ago at the retreat you know you very quickly just said i i would hire another me um but you've already told me that that wouldn't be your strategy um at least not completely and it's not about flattering yourself or any anything like that but um you were very much like i just need another kind of generalist and maybe Ricardo's, you know, supplied that for you. But what's your thinking now, as you look at the next two, three years, let's say you're hiring another 10 engineers. And I know there's all sorts of variabilities and unique uniquenesses to our specific application, mm -hmm. but do you see yourself hiring more in a vertical capacity, which is common as a company grows as they start looking and they need to for more specialists to break world records. Right. So this goes back to the question that I didn't fully answer, which is the different type of roles that there are in the, in the, in the industry. So just to complete that, there is front-end, there is back-end, there is, in some companies, there is database people, but I, I believe this is, this is one of those like world record breakers that you need only on very specific scenarios. Um, then there's also QA engineers, which you guys call QC sometimes. There's also product, product we always managers. say QA. Well, we say, uh, be, you, 
you'll hear it from the AM team or so, something like if we're auditing something, they'll say, oh, okay. let's, yeah, let's yeah. quality check that. Sorry, that's Which <laughs> is funny because like terminology between disciplines like is similar but different. Oh, you know? yeah, totally. <laughs> so <laughs> go ahead, man. So anyway, there's uh, there's QA engineers and then there's also product managers, there's project managers, and there's also UI UX engineers. And last but not least, there's also DevOps engineers. So uh, without going too, too, too much further here, do you guys want a quick explanation of those or are those self-explanatory? Um, I think that might be a tad weedsy and um, I well, want to try and wrap this up in the next 10. Yeah, um, right. So yeah, why don't you move past that and get into a little bit more about how you're thinking about you know, your, your next few hires, I guess. Yeah, so I believe one of the, well, we, we need one of the following for the next two to three years. Uh, we need one person that is focused completely on DevOps, and that might be Ricardo, uh, just because like we talked about before and he talked about this morning, he's, his passion is on DevOps. And the, the purpose of a DevOps person, just super quickly, is to make a complete engineering team more efficient as far as how they deliver code, how they write code, how they deploy things to production, etc. So we just need a, a person or a group of people that focus on making the rest of the engineering team really efficient. The second thing that I would look for, uh, by the way, this is not in a specific order, but the second thing that I would need to have in the next, we would need to have in the next two to three years is a QA engineer, somebody that is really good at going in and breaking things, not only from the clicking perspective, but also from the, let's let's see what's under the hood. Let's see how we can break these things from under the hood. Because as we grow, what's going to happen is that we're going to become more vulnerable to attacks from, from many different sources. Um, so we not only need somebody to check that everything is secure, but we also need to make sure that uh, unexpected things that could happen outside of the UI are, we are uh, guarded against. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. And then the, the third thing that I, that I think we would need is a product manager, somebody that is able to, talk a lot with the many different stakeholders that we have in the company, the customers, and figure out what is truly the main priority. Um, so those those three things are the what I believe we need for the next two, three years. As far as the number goes, we just we, we, we would just basically need um, one product manager, one QA engineer, and maybe one or two DevOps engineers, including Ricardo, for example. Cool. So you would almost lean more adding more in those roles, including DevOps, as opposed to, we'll say, the generalists. Um, so you feel like you have enough generalists now. It's more of those specialty sorts of things. I think so. I think if I were to add another generalist, it would be just one or two more max. Um, and this is something that we've talked about a little bit before, which is having those engineering units. Each engineering unit is built of one QA engineer, uh, maybe three to four uh generalists, software engineers, full stack, or, uh, or or a couple front end, a couple back end, just a combination of those, mm -hmm. and one product manager. And then the product manager is gonna figure out what needs to be done for that engineering unit. The QA person is gonna be waiting to, to of course, check different things. And then the software engineers are always gonna be pumping out things uh, depending on the priorities that the product manager sets. Hmm. Makes sense. I think Victor also just made a business case for another $2 million in investment. So my girls won't be going to college until they're, until they're 40 and they'll be thanking you for that, Victor. Um, but no, it's good stuff. So I, unless David, you want to go somewhere else for me on wrapping this up a little bit, I thought it'd be fun. And David's done this and we both uh, 
volley back and forth, but bold predictions. So we are in 2020. It's a new decade. No better time to make a couple mm-hmm. of those. And uh, I'm not sure if Darwin himself had this game as, as uh, he was formulating his, his theories about which animals were going to go extinct. Um, but, uh, you know, trying to tee you up here, maybe that, that might be one of them um, as you talk about all these languages. But, uh, yeah, bold predictions, uh, maybe all the way out to, to 2030. But, you know, what do you think is going to be happening uh, in the engineering? Bold. Yeah, I go think ball. what's going to happen is AI is going to continue to grow to the point where it's going to be scary. Uh, and scary could be something as silly as something called deep fakes. Have you guys heard about what yeah. those are? Yeah. So uh, for those out there listening. Zuckerberg was uh, victimized by that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He was uh, claiming... Um, God, it was something political. I, it, I mean, it had to do with the Cambridge scandal, right, right. but it was like a PSA from him, and it was yeah. a deep fake, and it went, yeah, viral. So, yeah, familiar with the term. Yeah, so um, I think that's one of the things that AI is going to do is going to create a lot of really scary stuff, which is going to create maybe its own separate industry for protection against AI that is misused, um, potentially. Another thing that I think is going to really take off th- throughout the next 10 years is AR, VR, um, which is already a <laughs> growing pretty pretty fast. I actually heard this weekend that Snapchat acquired another company, which allows you, uh, David, uh, for example, to grab a video of Reed and just put your face on on Reed, so that it, it seems like, you, for example, you can put your face on Usain Bolt's um, video, like yeah. of him running, and all of a sudden you're a right a record breaker. Um, so uh, I just believe that. The combination of artificial intelligence and VR, are, those those two things are going to take off in and of themselves, but combined they're going to create something really scary, something similar to what Photoshop did back in the day. Um, the other thing that's going to happen is that the Internet of Things is going to continue to grow, uh, which we, we see that everything is connected to the Internet nowadays. That's going to, again, create its own separate specialization in the security world, which is going to be how to protect your home against the, the many different attacks that could happen. Uh, same thing is going to, the, the same thing is going to happen to cars. So cars are, are going to be, uh, well, I guess that's one thing. Cars are going to be completely self-driven probably by the end of, the, of, of this decade. And that's going to, again, create its own little branch of security of how to protect cars against, uh, against this sort of threat. Um, what else do I think is going to happen? I think one of the things that everyone has heard of is blockchain, which you mentioned a little bit ago, David. And Although a lot of people say that blockchain is going to become like really important throughout the next 10 or so years, I personally, even though I, I know a little bit about the applications of blockchain, I still don't see how it's the next great thing in the world. Um, they say that it could be used a lot for contracts, and I see its use, but I don't think it's going to be the next internet, which is what a lot of people say it's going to be. So I still think AI, VR is going to be a lot more important than the blockchain, but I could be very, very wrong on that one. Well, my reaction to what you just said was at first 90% like, duh, and I'm just having fun with you. <laughs> um, but AR, VR is going to keep growing and driverless cars and all this stuff because to me that's not bold, um, but I don't disagree. I think we all 
would would agree that that's the future. Um, what I do appreciate, though, I latch onto is what you just ended with, which sometimes it's just going against the grain. It's like, sure, everybody knows like blockchain or Bitcoin is is going to be the future, and then to say no, it's not. Like in ten years, it's it's going to be irrelevant, mm-hmm. or it's just not going to mature anywhere near the speed that you think it is. So I look for sometimes what I just said, like go against the grain or what does scary really mean? Like really put it out there. Are we looking at T2, like, you know, Skynet, uh, Skynet in, <laughs> in 2030. Is that like, uh, the level of like scariness you're talking about, or is it more deep fake, which is disturbing, but not overly alarming. So what's your reaction to his future? Well, first I was going to say like, do you want to give him words of caution about betting on AR? i won't tell that story i think i've already told it once reed was like super in the augmented reality like 10 years ago i I told everybody it's gonna be the future 10 years ago i brought it to to newspaper (laughs) big mistake so uh i think it makes a lot of sense what he said about ai ar i hope because kind of like how you you were super fan like 10 years ago i would love for that to do to do better and you know how i've been loving like the Google maps and how like you can hold up your camera and it will show you when to take a turn. You, you know, I've been loving that. So, uh, I hope that's true. I totally disagree with the self-driving car. I don't think that's happening. I, I also, well, I agree with you. Um, <laughs> I've been reading a lot about that and I'll, I'll be stunned, but you know, we'll find out. It'd be cool. We'll I listen would, to this podcast 10 years from now. I would Cause do I it. don't want my daughters behind a damn wheel. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm rooting for it, but, yeah. uh, I, I do not think in 10 yeah. years, it's going to be the thing. But I also agree with Victor that I don't think blockchain is going to do everything that, uh, that everyone has been saying. It's kind of like, to me, it's a hot thing to invest in, you know what I mean? And so it's like nice marketing, not saying that there's not applications to your point that it will be used for, but mm-hmm. I think there's too many business um, rules around this stuff that it's going to be, there's a, there's a big uphill battle to make it work. So it may make sense, but I'm, I just don't think within 10 years it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, uh, I asked the same question, uh, to put you in the camp of, uh, somebody I'm sure you, well, I guess you'd be curious as well, Victor, but, uh, before we started the company, um, I was out at a conference with, uh, Google and they brought in somebody from their C-suite, like pretty, pretty high up. Uh, and the same question was asked. So most of my exposure with Google has been kind of mid-level, you could say, and, and you don't get to ask those types of questions of those kinds of people, and they're, of course, sworn to secrecy. So <laughs> he was very careful in the way he answered this, but the question was, what do you think is going to be the next big thing? What's kind of your bold protect- prediction? And I'm just going to ask what your reaction to this is, uh, since we talked a lot about JavaScript and the reason that it's going to be so powerful and continues to grow is because of the web. He believes that the web as we know it will not exist in the next 20 to 30 years. He was very noncommittal on like that's going to be in seven years or in 12 years. But he did say he believes 20 plus years, the World Wide Web as we know it will not exist. And he uh, was careful, but he did mention some of this might be brought to you by Google, um, that new piping, new infrastructure, new ways of connecting us was was going to happen, that mm-hmm. that would be the future. And he brought VR, I'll say that too, and I don't think I'm, uh, I guess, crossing any lines by saying this on, uh, on our podcast, but that VR would be behind that. Um, and the way we just think about communication and the web would, 
it would all be gone. And that was like big effing yeah. <laughs> prediction to say in 20 years, the web won't really be there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would agree with that in 20 years. <laughs> crazy thought here, but I think what's going to happen is going to be, we're, we're going to create this VR world where only that the ultra rich are going to live in. And these people are going to basically, let's say going really crazy here, fake organs are going to, are going to be created. These people are going to live forever in this VR world. There's going to be people in the real world, which, which are going to be the poor. People. Holy shit. And we these, just went off. <laughs> we just went way out there. I love it. Keep going. And the poor people are going to be changing these rich people, rich people organs so that they can live forever in this VR world. Um, wow. So I think that's what's actually going to happen. I, I think all that <laughs> happening in the next 20 years is non-realistic, but I think 50 years is very realistic. So not and not quite Elon Musk's The Simulation. It, I don't think it, so. It's more like Ready Player One well, or something. Well, you know, maybe maybe that's the next stage, but I don't think that's going to happen in the next 30 or, or even 50 years. I, th I think initially uh, what's going to happen is that there's going to be people that are going to be making sure that this, these rich people stay... Uh, in shape so that they can live in this VR world. But then eventually, maybe within this VR world, somebody will create a, an even more advanced piece of AI that will go back to the real world and start, start taking over the mm -hmm. things that these, these people, these, these fake doctors, let, let's say, uh, used to do, if that makes sense. And do then, you know what I say? Pass the morphine. <laughs> <laughs> and, well. then, and then this AI, I believe, will get to the point where these, like I said, these people that live in the VR world will not even know the difference between what's real and what's what's yeah, not. The matrix. Well, tell me what's going to happen with text messaging. <laughs> I'm serious here because like, would you have thought like when you were T9 text messaging in like 2001 that like text messaging is still what the hell we use? Why aren't we like video um, messaging leaving? That's existed on the phones for like five years. I cannot believe that I still use my thumbs and text message. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, in 10 years, are we still going to be text messaging? Voices, I mean, I, I use my girls as, as a good barometer, yeah. right? Like, they barely know how to work a phone, even a smartphone. Yeah. It's just weird to them. I mean, they get the swiping and the tapping, but I told you when we first got the Alexa, they'd sat around it yeah. for, for days. And now when I go up to tuck them in bed, they are talking to Alexa. Yeah. And it, it is happening. And and so for me, I mean, I'm interjecting, but I, I do expect voice to continue to mature and mature. And it just becomes a norm. And the next generation is what really will accelerate that because they actually grew up with it. So it's like, what time is it? Uh, you know, I need to get... I, what, uh, what's the definition of this word? I mean, whatever. I mean, it yeah. just goes on and on, but it's just blowing me away because I'm watching it unfold in my house with, with two nine-year-old girls and a six-year-old where they're getting more and more comfortable with that, and they think texting is weird. because they, they would voice text is my point. Like, meaning, oh, okay, okay, sorry, think about sorry, it, like, sorry. Voicemail was like, yeah, hell, yeah, yeah, I get voicemail, yeah. and then text messaging. Do you I remember this? You meant, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I love where you went, too, yeah. but vo text messaging came after voicemail was a thing. Right. Who... Right. Who would have bet on that? Right. And now like you would, your girls would use Alexa if they had phones mm -hmm. to text message you. Probably. Mm -hmm. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't imagine it's going to be like a video message or a voicemail right. to right. you. Totally. Totally. So weird. So I think, what the, I think what's going to happen is that text messages are going to disappear until people, I'm going to, again, go really crazy here, <laughs> but people are usually very uh, self-aware of their tone of voice, the way they speak, the way they look. Mm -hmm. So if those things were not a thing, people all over the world would, the only thing that they would really do is send video messages. If you were in the subway, for example, and you wanted to send a video message to somebody, what's really preventing you from doing so is not 
the technology. It's just the people around you. You're afraid of people listening to what you have to say. They're, they're, you're afraid of people looking yeah. at you at the other side of the screen. So until, <laughs> let's say, again, really crazy here, until we get to the point where, where parents, for example, or even yourself can change your tone of voice or the way you look completely to where you're really satisfied, until that right. point, you're going to be able to just do voice messages and video messages to everyone. So can I connect your deep fake here? Sure. Basically, similar to how you can touch up a photo to get rid of like the bump on your face. Mm -hmm. You're saying like if I could basically text into my deep fake, say this to somebody and send them the beautiful picture of me or whatever, saying it exactly how I wanted to say, that's when it would take over. Basically, I would even connect that to what's his name? Stephen... Uh, the one, the guy in the wheel in a wheelchair. I forgot his name. Oh, Haw Hawkins. Stephen Hawkins. Yeah. So I would connect that to him, where he can basically manage his computer with his brain. So right. I think it's going to get to the point where we are able to create these video messages right. through deep fakes, right. where you just think about what you want to say, yeah. who you want to send it to, and it'll automatically send right. a video of you saying and doing those things. Right. This is kind of like again tied to Elon Musk's uh, neural neural connector or something. He basically mm -hmm. thinks the problem with cell phones is throughput because we're using two thumbs and it's mm. like we have 10 digits. And so he has some project he wants to, he's about to release. He says, who knows? That's like going to go straight from your brain to the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That'll be really cool. But, uh, 10 years, doubtful 30 years, potentially. All right. Well, I won't stop text messaging. <laughs> then. Yep. Well, there you have it. Yeah. Victor started to get a little wild on us there at the end. I love <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> He's maybe, just getting warmed up. You maybe know. you should put that at the beginning, huh? Yeah. <laughs> no post-production here, bro. It's all raw. All right. Well, let's get the heck out of here. Cool. All right. Thanks, Victor. Peace. Thanks, Victor. <laughs> Thank you.